Welcome to Radical Simple Living. This is Series 2, Episode 4. And it's the second week I've forgotten to plug my microphone in, showing what a high degree of professionalism I operate here. It's not easy being this swish, I tell you. It's very difficult to do and bring off. But there we go. This week I intend to get out my crystal ball and look a little bit into the future and see how this is going to affect us in terms of the simple living that we're seeking. I assume we're seeking it because that's what the podcast is all about. And I'm going to try to look into the future. And I've got some headings here to look at. We could we could think about the future in all kinds of ways, can't we? We can think of our own personal future, and that very much depends on all sorts of things in our life. If you're 98, your view of the future is a little bit different than if you're 18. I understand that. And that's part of, uh, of how life works. But we're talking about the future of the planet and the future of ourselves and our families, the future of, the, of all sorts of things and, and how things are going to shape up. And before I start, I have to say this this might sound fairly negative view of the future. I don't know if you think about the future much, but most people you talk to have a view of the future which is clouded. It's not a rosy future. It's not one where we're saying, oh, things are going to carry on getting bigger and better and more exciting. Um, Because we know they're not. And uh, this could be a little bit depressing. You could say, oh, that's grim. I don't want to think about that. But hang with me because I've got some good news, which I'm going to say for the end of the podcast about how we can respond to these things and how we can approach the future. Now, the four broad headings of the future that I want to talk about is economic future. Um, Not so much us personally, but in terms of the world and the people living in it. Stability, the environment and our personal wealth. Now, wealth I'm using in the fullest sense of the word, meaning well-being. I don't necessarily mean money. A person living on a tropical island with uh, coconut trees and sunshine will have very different needs from somebody living in a a house in uh, northern US or northern Europe where they have to spend money on heating and clothing and transport and food, all kinds of things like this. So wealth is difficult if you think of it in terms of money, but if you think of it in terms of well-being, certainly money's part of that. But it's not all of that, is it? It's something different. Now, the first question I want to address to you, because this is a a thinking exercise, not just a listening one, you're going to have to think about some things here, is do you think personally and honestly that the economy is going to get better? Now, if you live in a country that is very poor, where natural resources are low and income is low, there's every chance it will get better because the world is becoming a smaller place and it is becoming a fairer place, maybe, that people in countries that were seen as developing countries 30, 40 years ago are now beginning to look like developed countries. So if you live in a very poor country, things may be getting better for you and that that's wonderful. 
However, if like me, you live in a rich country, I live in Sweden, which is a pretty rich country as countries go, um, are things going to get better? Is the economic future a bright one? Well, I would say that almost every indicator I look at, and although I live in a house in the woods, I do look at what's happening in the rest of the world, and I don't think it is getting any better. I don't think the economy anywhere is looking as though people are going to have something to shout about. What we look at is inflation. What we look at is rising um, levels of unemployment. What we look at is increased debt, both household debt and company debt and government debt. The US government debt, as I speak, is astronomical and getting bigger every day. Most European countries are also adding to their debt burden all the time. Now, once upon a time, debt was seen as something that happened in developing countries. Now it happens to all countries. And have you ever wondered what happens if every country on earth owes money? Um, if you've got a town where everybody is in debt, it doesn't bode well for that town, does it? And if you have a situation where countries are in trillions and trillions of dollars of debt, you have to wonder how do we get away from that position. And you start to wonder, is there anything we can do that is going to turn that around? So all of a sudden we're not in debt. You know, something like uh, Roosevelt's New Deal or something. All of a sudden we have a new direction to go in and, and, and things are helped along. The answer to that has to be no. Now, once upon a time, if the economy wasn't going so well, what you would say to yourself is, well, party X is in power at the moment in my country. So the next time I get a chance, I'm going to vote for party Y and they'll have the answer. They will change direction. All of a sudden, the economy will be fine again. Well, that's good. And I'm not opposed to party politics. I don't intend to talk about party politics here today or ever. But... Do you seriously believe that any politician of any political party of any political or economic philosophy you care to mention has answers to the problems that the economy has at the moment? Do you think any political party can come in, alter a few things, change a few policies, adjust tax levels, uh, fiddle about with interest rates if you're in a country where politicians can do that? and suddenly everything is going to be okay. Because I don't think that is at all possible. I do not think that any political party, any political leader, any political system, any economic system can solve the problems we've got. Certainly, they can fiddle around and maybe divert money from here to there, maybe increase the burden of tax on some and decrease the burden of tax on others, or maybe... They'll decrease the burden of tax on everyone and that will spark the economy into a spending spree where everyone will do well. Somehow, I don't think that is going to happen. I think we are going to have to get used to the fact that the days when the economy was seen as something that just had the odd up and down, but basically was in a forward going direction, I think that's gone. And uh, a little bit later on, I'm going to explain why I think it's gone forever. And, and why, in a way, that can be seen as a good thing.
I know it can be seen as a bad thing in terms of you paying your mortgage and your job security, but there have to be some bright sides of that, those problems that we can look at. The next thing is the stability of the world, by which I mean political stability, I mean wars and coups and all kinds of things like that. Well, is there anybody listening to this that thinks the stability of the world is getting better? Is there anybody out? Put your hand up, please, now, if you think world stability is getting better. I don't see any hands. I don't see a single... I, I think there might be somebody doing something somewhere, but I, I'm not sure that anyone believes stability is improving. I'm saying this not only because we have a situation where we have military coups all over uh, Northern Africa, we have a war in Europe, we have all kinds of problems all over the world with, with migration and, and refugees causing great uh, burdens of movement on some, on some areas of the earth. We also have um, environmental, I get on to environment a bit, but sometimes environment is, is to do with just displacing people and destroying political systems. If a country suffers a, an earthquake or a hurricane or severe flooding, the ability of that country to A, economically cope with that, and B, to improve its stability while that happens is very limited. So I think we can all agree that stability on Earth is not getting any better in any country at all. And the next question to you is, do you think in the foreseeable future, the next 10, 15, 20, 25 years, things are going to improve? Do you think things are going to get better? Neither do I. I don't think they're going to get better in the short term or the long term. I think the days when we can say, oh, we know where we are. There was a point, there was a point where everything looked like it was getting better. When the Berlin Wall came down and apartheid ended in South Africa and lots of the struggles all over the world for civil rights and for women's rights and for gay rights, all these things seem to be going in the right direction. None of them did as much as they could, but things looked like they were getting better and we were heading to a, a sort of one world approach on what was the right way forward. Those days are gone and finished and are now designated to history books. At the moment we're living in a world where very few people would actually like to sit down and make predictions. And when you do read predictions, they're grim. I read one earlier this week that said the war, Russia's war in the Ukraine, is going to go on for at least another decade. Of course, predictions, forecasts can be wrong, but they're there. And you have to ask yourself personally, do you think the stability of the world is getting better? Yes or no? And I suspect the resounding answer to that will be no. There might be a doubtful, which is about as possible as we can get. If you think the stability of the world is going to improve, please write and let me know and how it's going to happen. The next issue is the environments. Now, the environment you can see in all sorts of ways. You can look at it as your local environment or you can look at it as a global environment. But I'm using the word environment generally to cover all of these things. Do you think the state of the environment is getting better? Well, 
on a very local level, you might say, yes, you might say, well, there was a bit of wasteland uh, near me, which has now been resurrected and has been rewilded and it's now full of birds and bees and butterflies. That's wonderful. You may say my garden two years ago was totally made over to lawn and now I've got flowers and vegetables growing in it and pollinating insects. That's wonderful and we must all work as hard as we can to make sure that a little bit of land that we've got to look after is looked after well and everything is done to improve the environmental conditions for the plants and animals to, uh, to live there. But on a world scale, the environment is not getting better. We know that global warming is taking a toll on the great ice sheets of Antarctica and the Arctic areas of the world. We know that glaciers are melting, not only in Arctic regions, but also in mountainous regions. Um, the Alps being a, a, an example that we can see fairly regularly. We know that because of global warming, diseases are spreading, pests are spreading. I was reading yesterday that Paris is being... Uh, attacked by bedbugs. There are bedbugs all over Paris and they didn't used to be but they're now there and global warming is one of those reasons because obviously the warmer a climate is the more insect pests, the more bacterial problems, the more fungal problems that come along are going to increase too. If we look at what we're doing to the environment we see that the two things we've looked at earlier the problems with the economy and the problems with political stability are both contributing now to problems with the environment, not only because wars are always damaging to the environment. They use energy, they use resources, they destroy nature, they destroy humans too. But also um, people are saying, well, perhaps we're going a bit far on cleaning up the world, perhaps we should stop and then a political leader in Britain has said, you know, I'm on the side of the motorists and that, that's fine. But what about those long term aims? What are we going to do? It's not about sides, is it? You know, as most people are motorists, I'm not personally, but most people are saying you're on the side of the motorist is like it, it's apple pie policies, isn't it? I'm in favour of apple pie and motherhood. Yes, of course you are. But it doesn't solve any problems to say that. It doesn't help any issues to say that. We see the world every day is breaking records. Records of heat have been broken this year. Records of rainfall have been broken in some parts of the world. Uh, a, because there's too much, or B, because there's too little. So what we need to do is to look and ask ourselves the same question we've asked about the economy and about stability. Do we think the world environment is getting better and that care for the environment is getting better? And I have to say, for all the fine words and all the things that people have had to say about this, I do not think that that is the case. I do not think that environmental protection is getting better. I do not think the actual physical state of the environment is getting better. I see deterioration on all fronts. And if you think otherwise, again, do write and let me know, please. Now, the last thing we come across here is um, about personal wealth and remember we've already said that wealth isn't just money wealth is about well-being do you have enough to eat do you have shelter do you have a room over your a roof over your head do you have sufficient money to look after your needs can you ensure an environment where 
the children in your family, be they children or grandchildren, can grow up happily and where they're going to have good schools and where they're going to look forward to jobs in the future. All these things that are important to us. And the answer is, we probably can't look with any great optimism on this. Once upon a time, not too long ago, it was always assumed that your children would end up being wealthier than you are, that they would earn more money, that they would live in a better house, they would drive a bigger car, they would do all of these things. Um, and now we're not so sure about that. Now we have worries about the housing of children when they grow up, about the job situation for children when they grow up, about having to pay for their education, which in some countries takes them all of their adult life to pay off student debt. All of these things are worried, are worrying, and we may not be able to guarantee our children a better life than we've had. We may not even be able to guarantee our children a life as wealthy as we had. We may be saying that our children are going to be poorer than we are in all kinds of ways, not just in monetary terms, but in all kinds of ways. Now, that is a worry. And again, we need to have an approach to life that is going to help us deal with those kind of worries. If you are a very optimistic person, if you are the kind of person that believes some technological innovation is going to happen, if you believe that some um, social media or uh, some kind of um, AI is going to come along and make everything on life better and all of a sudden all these problems to do with the economy, political stability, the environment and personal wealth will go away. Good luck with that. I don't think it's going to happen. I think we have to find some other ways of trying to look at the future, not with rosy coloured spectacles on, but be realistic and look about what's happening and try and come up with alternative ways of living that are going to ensure that we can survive in this uncertain future and we can do it with a degree of anticipation that is going to make us succeed. Okay, putting our heads in the sand, pretending none of it's going wrong is not going to help us. Expecting some technological innovation to change it all, I've already mentioned this, isn't going to happen. You personally might um, win the lottery. You personally might, that book you've been writing might become an international bestseller. You might end up, I don't know, marrying uh, Taylor Swift or somebody. Who knows what will happen to you in the next year or two. And if those things happen, your personal wealth will be very different than it is now. But for the vast majority of us, it's not going to happen. And we are going to end up having to face these problems and we're not going to get any help. Are politicians going to help us? No, because they can't do anything about the resources available. No politician can come along and wave a magic wand or wave a party manifesto and say, I've got the answer to all these problems, here it is. They might make life a little bit better, they might make the rate of decline a little bit slower, but they are not going to solve our problems. It isn't going to happen. Neither do I believe is it good to look back to the history books and try and dig out and dust off some solution that's worked in the past. I don't think we can have another new deal. I don't think that's going to work. 
There's all kinds of reasons why it won't, partly because we're dealing now with a global economy and that isn't so easy to manipulate as national economies. It's no good going back to the 19th century and digging out works by Engels or Marx or something and say, this is a solution. It isn't. It might have been a solution in the 19th century, but it's not a solution in the 21st century when, again, life is very different and the population of the world is growing at an incredible rate. We have to look for new solutions to these problems. And new solutions are not going to be specifically political. They're going to have to be something different. We're going to have to dig deep to find ways to solve these problems. Now, I'd like to give you a thought experiment to do. And for this, I want you to imagine you're back in the Middle Ages. Not your Middle Age, but the, the Middle Ages of, of the Western world, if you like. Um, that time that we look back on with rather rosy coloured glasses about how wonderful it is. And I want you to imagine that in the Middle Ages, you live in a village, as most people did, and that you are a baker. So dress yourself now in medieval garb and imagine yourself in your baker's shop with a nice brick oven and wood-burning oven, of course, and one of those nice flattened um, spatulas for getting the bread in and out the oven and all these things. That's wonderful. Let's say you're a wonderful baker. Let's say you're such a good baker that people can smell your bread cooking all over the village and when they have a few groats in their hand, they pop along to buy some bread every day because, you know, that's how people used to buy bread every day. You didn't freeze it or save it. You couldn't. You bought it. You ate it. Now, imagine that you are such a successful baker that when you open your shop doors in the morning, you've got up early to bake the bread. And as soon as it's ready, you open the shop doors. and There's a whole queue of people out there waiting to buy the bread. What do you do? You take on an apprentice. And that apprentice, you teach everything you know about baking bread. And eventually they're good. They're almost as good as you are. And you've taught them all the tricks of the trade. What happens then? Well, maybe you retire. Maybe you die. In which case they can take over the running of the bakery and that works fine. Or maybe they go off to another village that hasn't got a baker. And they open another bakery. And they are very successful and that is wonderful and that works well that's how the middle ages worked every village had a shoemaker a baker and a, a blacksmith uh, all these things now that isn't how it would work in the modern day is it if you imagine yourself now in the 21st century and you've opened an artisan bakery and you are good. You're a very good baker. You're every bit as good as that baker in the Middle Ages. And the smell of your bread fills the town or city you live in and people come flooding. What do you do now? Now you expand. Now you think, well, I could open up three or four other bakeries in town. I can train up the people and I can open three or four bakeries. And then before long, you think, well, I could open up some more bakeries. Look, there, 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 are, there are baker's shops going bust all over the country. I could start buying these up and 
organise a sort of corporate identity for my bakery products and they'd be selling everywhere and I haven't got time to bake any bread myself now because I'm too busy with these other things so I'm going to be overviewing the whole thing and we'll train up people and they'll do the baking and that will be okay and then I'll make loads of money and I'll be able to buy a big house and then eventually somebody will come and buy up my business for millions of dollars and I'll be able to retire and somewhere or other and I can move on and the bakery will get on. Now, how often does that happen? And how often does it go desperately wrong? How often do you read in the press that a certain company is expanding or buying new properties or getting bigger in all sorts of ways and then 12 months later you pick up a paper and find that they have gone bust and they no longer exist. And this is because we've become obsessed with the idea that to be successful, you have to grow. Whereas really, we should be looking on success as being good at what you do and that providing you with a living. And if it's very good, providing your employees with a living too. But instead of that, you can't be good anymore. You've got to grow. You've got to expand. You've got to take over. And sometimes you might be a baker, but you might say, oh, look, there's a, a laundry down the road. I might burst into the laundry business too. And look, there's a holiday company and I might start doing that. And you diversify because everybody tells you that diversity in business is good. And you end up spreading yourself so thinly that the, the idea of break, baking quality bread every day goes by the board a little bit. And maybe your bread tastes a bit sawdusty and unpleasant after a while. And then the business begins to go wrong. And, you know, maybe you escape with your money intact or maybe the whole thing collapses with everybody in it. This idea of growth is wrong. If a shoemaker makes 100 pairs of shoes a year... Why does he have to make 120 pairs of shoes the next year and 200 pairs the year after? Why can he not be satisfied with making the number of shoes he does as long at the same time as he's training other people how to make the shoes? This gets into the kind of thing that people like William Morris were very interested in the 19th century. The idea of artisan craftsmanship as an alternative to big capitalistic expansion. I want to read you a quote here and this is from Kenneth Boulding. Kenneth Boulding was a Quaker um, but he's talking here about growth and what he says is this. This is the quote. Anyone who believes exponential growth can go on forever in a finite world is either a madman or an economist. Now, uh, the reason he says that is because it is a finite world. There's a finite, if you're a baker, there's a finite amount of flour. There's a finite amount of fuel to go in your oven. There's a finite amount of customers to buy your products. And yet we behave in a way that suggests that we can constantly have growth. And in fact, this growth is wonderful. How many times do you hear a politician say, what do I aim to do? I aim to have growth even though growth may be impossible, even though growth at a time when economic stability, environmental and personal wealth problems are an issue, 
It is foolish to chase this idea of growth. What we should be looking for is something else, something different. Now, I've got another quote here that I will read to you. This one um, is, is from somebody who happens to be an economist. Uh, this is Schumacher, the famous economist who wrote books called Small is Beautiful and The Limits to Growth. And he is an economist, so he speaks economy speak. But here it goes. An attitude to life which seeks fulfilment in the single-minded pursuit of wealth in short, materialism does not fit into this world because it contains within itself no limiting principle, while the environment in which it is placed is strictly limited. End of quote. You cannot have growth if the system within which you're working, the environment in which you're working, is strictly limited. We cannot have growth. We've got to get rid of the idea that we are going to earn more next year than we earn sorry we're going to earn more next year than we are this year we've got to grow away from the idea that our children are going to be richer than we are that our children are going to live bigger houses than we do that our company's growth rate is going to go on increasing exponentially year after year that economic growth can happen in every country on earth stop deluding ourselves these things cannot take place We've got to break away from the idea that growth in itself is attainable or even desirable. Being in a stable society, living in a stable economy, living within a stable environment and having stable personal wealth for ourselves are much more important things than chasing growth because we're chasing a butterfly. We're chasing a unicorn. We're chasing something that cannot and will not happen. Now, in Sweden, we have a word called lagom. You will have heard about it, or lagom, as it's more likely to be said here. And what lagom means is hard to translate. There's no direct translation. to it. I looked it up on Google Translate early, and it said moderate. It doesn't mean moderate. It doesn't mean sufficient. The closest word it means in English is enough. And the idea of lagom is that as soon as you've got enough, you stop trying to get even more. As soon as you've got your house that you live in, you stop trying to get an even bigger house. Unless you've got 15 children, you're about to have a 16th. I suppose that makes a difference. You don't need a bigger car. You don't need... A bigger salary necessarily though you need your salary to keep abreast of the rate of inflation in your country but we have to stop thinking in terms of constant growth either individually or nationally we have to get used to the fact that when we've got enough we've got enough and more than that we have to get used to the idea of acceptance the idea that we cannot change everything we have to accept it instead now, on a positive note, I did say I'd end on a positive note. I'm not depressed by all these things because I think the world is ready for a major rethink. And I think if the areas of worry cause people to rethink their personal lives and how they're going to live, and it forces governments to think about that, that's a good thing. Because the future 
as far as I see it, is one in which radical simplicity will solve so many of the problems that we have. It won't provide all the answers, but it's going to make life a lot easier for a lot of people. Thank you for joining me today. I will be back with you very soon.